This morning, brothers and sisters, I may focus your attention on the passage that we read together, particularly on verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. In response to the sermon, we will be singing from Psalm 133 to stanzas 1 and 2. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, all people are different. There are not two people the same. That's a reality, brothers and sisters, which is not always easy. It leads to many a conflict when people consider each other compare others with themselves, and criticize each other. It's not surprising, therefore, that in the history of the world, leaders appeared on the scene time and again who tried to pursue equality and uniformity among people. Politically speaking, that led to socialism and communism. Everybody must earn the same have the same, look the same, etc. That would create contentment and reduce conflict. Religiously speaking, such uniformity has been pursued among movements like the Mennonites or Amish, for instance. In a religious colony, all people should look the same, live the same, and have everything in common. There are no two people who are the same. That's true in the church as well, beloved. Also in the church, this has caused conflicts. When the other member is not like I am, he is strange. When he does not think like I do, he is wrong. In the time of the early immigrants, the fact that they all came from different backgrounds caused a lot of problems. The integration of those members did not always take place in the way of faith, but was often approached in a sinful way. Then the challenge quite often was the confrontation between tradition and faith between personal experience and church unity. Thankfully, we may see that in many occasions and situations, faith prevails, for faith overcomes the world. The unity in faith was based on the confessions, not on traditions. And the communion of saints was organized by a scriptural church order, not by local customs. In the history of the church, brothers and sisters, we also recognize this great diversity among the children of God. Yet in the Old Testament, we see the Lord of the covenant bring them as a variety of tribes together into one people. 
in the New Testament as well, the great diversity of people is expressed in an image of unity, the body of Christ. In Ephesians 1, verse 23, the Apostle Paul uses that image of a body for the Catholic Church, the church of all times and all places, to denote the unity between Christ and His people. In our Scripture passage, we see Paul use that image of a body to depict the unity and diversity in the local church. And what a beautiful image that is. What a diversity of members and organs we see in a body, every part having its own function. That's how God wanted them to be, we read in verse 18. Well, says Paul in our text, that's now how it is possible as well for a diverse people to live in unity. When they live together by faith in Jesus Christ, let's listen to the Word of God, therefore, that we may enter upon a new season of congregational life and activities in that way of faith. So I proclaim in the church as body of Christ, we see unity and diversity. First of all, we see unity in diversity, and secondly, diversity in unity. So, I summarize the message of our text as follows. In the church as body of Christ, we see unity and diversity. First of all, unity in diversity, and secondly, diversity in unity. Well, isn't it true, brothers and sisters, that as congregation here in Owen Sound, or in your home congregation if you are here on holidays, that you have a great diversity among its members? When you look around in your congregation, you see all sorts of people whom the Lord has placed together in one congregation. Christ has given us to each other. Yes, that's true. Christ gave us to each other. If you yourself could have chosen and selected, not everyone would be here, perhaps. There are members with whom we feel closer than with others, with whom you are happier than with others. Still, we all belong together in this one congregation. We are a congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ because Christ said to you, I want you to be here, and you, and you. Why? Well, because you are Christ's by faith. And if you belong to Christ, you belong together as well. The Apostle Paul, beloved, had learned in an unforgettable way how closely Christ and His people are united. When Paul persecuted the members of the New Testament church, he found Christ on his way, who said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Christ and His people are one. 
which became evident in a very clear way. Then the Apostle Paul also learned that all those who are united with Christ, their head, also have a special bond together. He who receives you receives me, Christ had had said to his disciples. Just as much as Christ and his people are one, so those who belong to Christ have all things in common. That's why true believers cannot live without the church. Christ is not your personal possession. When you belong to Him, you belong to Him together. We need each other to live with Him, to continue in Him, to remain with Him. That's what Paul explains by the image of the body. In a body, all the members and parts and organs need each other too. And what a great variety of members and organs we see Each part has its own distinct function, but also contributes to the working of the entire body. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have nothing to do with you. For if your hand wants to get something that's a few meters away, your hand sure needs your feet to get it. Besides, your hand needs your eyes to see where the object is. That's how the members of your body are interdependent on each other. That's how it is in the body of Christ too, Paul says. Just like the Father did in His creation, because He wanted it that way in your body, so it is in the church. Christ has given the members to each other. That way the members become gifts for each other. Yes, in the congregation of Christ, Paul shows the members were very gifted. That's thanks to the Holy Spirit through whom Christ brings these members together, unites them gives them to each other, and makes them a gift for each other. The one is good in helping. The other has a good insight in the Scriptures. Again, another member has special gifts of prayer, or can organize well, or can listen well, and so forth. The reason why the Apostle Paul goes into such great detail about this, brothers and sisters, is the way the congregation at Corinth dealt with all these gifts. They argued about these gifts. There was envy and jealousy among them. Whose gift is the most important, they wondered. Actually, that meant which member is most important. You know how that is among people. The Lord's disciples argued about that too. Then they showed that they hadn't understood much yet of what it means to belong to Christ. They hadn't understood the purpose of Christ coming yet either. He had come to serve and to save. He had come to restore men in love to God and to each other. 
When you are arguing about a question who is most important, however, you're focused on the wrong question. You're looking at yourself too much, and you are not focused on Christ or on God or on your neighbor. Well, that's what we learn to do in the church. Look at Christ. See how He served. See how He saved. He died on the cross for us sinners when we were still enemies. That's what the celebration of the Lord's Supper instituted for the church was all about too. Well, in regard to this Lord's Supper, the Corinthians had great problems as well, as Paul exposes in chapter 11. That's where this matter of the one body had come up already. At the table, they who are many eat of the one bread. Then here, Paul strikes that same note again. You who are many, he says, you are one in Christ. There is unity in diversity. When you together belong to Christ and look at each other in the light of that unity with Christ, you get a totally different impression of each other. Then you see brothers and sisters who differ a lot, who have a lot of differences, a great diversity in gifts too, and what a good thing that is. For if we would all be the same, a lot of things would not be done, and the functioning of a congregation as a unified whole would not work. That's what the comparison with a body teaches you. Some people think their eyes are very important. Imagine that you would have to miss them. Terrible! However, what a thought that would be for a blind person. Imagine, he thinks, that I would have to miss my ears or my hands. Horrible! From the reaction of both, however, we must learn that all members are needed. For the body to function as a unified whole, the body needs all its members. The one should not think the eye is most important, and the other should not think because I am not an ear, I am not of the body. Eyes and ears, hands and feet, all are needed. Together they make for the unity of the body. The Holy Spirit has given gifts to each of the members, and together they should strive for unity in the body. And so the idea in some people's minds should be eradicated that they don't count. What good can I do? I can't function in any place. Likewise, in the mind of others, the thought should be erased that this or that member is no good. What good can she do? What can we do with, with him or her? How mistaken we can be about this sometimes, beloved. I have seen it from experience so often that when members become involved or seek to serve the congregation in one way or another, 
they will do well and grow, while the unity of the congregation is served by it. It also happens that a certain member, not as outgoing perhaps as others, but quiet by nature, can often so function so well in a certain contact or for a particular situation. Also, as minister, I can see it time and again that a weak member, afflicted by illness or a chronic disease, disappears from public sight, yet functions so well as a member in prayer. They are like our lungs, to express it in Paul's image in verse 22, weak and tender and hidden away. All they can do is inhale and exhale, passing the air through the body. The body, however, cannot do without them, nor can any of the members function without the oxygen in the blood that's feeding them. That's how it is with those members as well who are hidden away at home and never seen. Yet, just like the prophetess Anna, they are mighty in faith and in prayer. Their prayer for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace sends the power of the Spirit through the members of the body. Their faith in Christ keeps them unified with the body. How essential they are for the vitality of the body. Christ never gives one member everything, beloved, but He sends His Spirit with a variety of gifts to distribute them over the members so that the one needs the other. Thus the weak should not think that they are useless, neither should the strong think that they are most important. That's when they will lose sight of the unity of Christ and become important to themselves. And now the place where we learn all this is here in the church. If we don't come here to see the body, to learn to function, to exercise this unity, we so easily fall back on ourselves. Then we won't function any longer. Then the one member becomes weaker and weaker, another member becomes more and more self-centered, and before you know it, the unity of the body falls apart. Beloved, we need the Christ to bring us together. And we need His Spirit and Word to bind us together, to help us function together. It's just like a choir of which the members sing their assigned parts in order to create harmony and symphony. That's what makes worship so beautiful. That's what makes us look for each other, live for each other, live with each other. In the unity of the Spirit, we enjoy the bond of peace and love and faith in Christ. Unity in diversity, we see. Diversity in unity, too. That's our second point.
Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. It's beautiful, brothers and sisters, to see this unity in Christ and marvel in thankfulness at the work of Christ by His Holy Spirit. However, then with this beautiful unity in the body of Christ, we also receive a place and a task in that place. Each one of you is part of it. Christ gives you a place in the body. In that place, Christ wants his, the gift He has given through His Spirit and Word to you to function in that place. That's what Paul expresses immediately following our text. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, etc. In that expression, we recognize, of course, very much the circumstances in which Paul wrote this epistle. Also, the fact that the church of Corinth was developing from the first stage of the New Testament church to its maturity as a congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ is evident. However, the point Paul is making is the beautiful conclusion that in this united body, each member has a task, a calling, a mandate to participate. Only through the great diversity among the congregation can the body function in unity. That may not always be easy. That does not happen without much effort and exercise either. We are more inclined to look after our own interest and to forget about the rest. Or we disagree with the rest and prefer to do our own thing may also have happened that we suffered in one way or another, and no one showed any interest. When one member suffers, all members suffer with it. I wish you may think after such an experience and turn away from it. That's then not a reaction of faith, though. When Christ says in our text, you are my body, and each one of you is a part of it, then you are called to accept that in faith. That means you have to give yourself to that body, function in that body. When we confess the church as the body of Christ, then that's not only a gift, but also a calling. True believers must seek the communion of the body, otherwise they don't function. We have the calling to be living members in that body. Now, is that how you consider your place in the congregation, beloved? Are you a living member? Do you function in the church? Do you work on your place in the body by faith? I'm not saying this to turn from that beautiful unity in Christ to the not-so-nice reality of our place in the body of Christ. On the contrary, this is beautiful too. 
of all things. I may have a place in the body of Christ. The whole body of Christ needs me. Me? Yes, you. You see, beloved, that's what you should consider on Sunday when Christ calls the body together for worship. Then the feet must be activated. Then if some feet say, I don't need to be there, do they not need to be there? That's foolish. When the body comes together in unity, all the members belong together. Or when the body works together and you have hands to help the body, but you think, I don't need to be there. They can do without me. Can they then do without you? That's foolish. And then foolish in the Bible means that you are futile. You're making yourself useless. It means that you are keeping God and Christ outside your life and calling in life. You all belong to the body, beloved. Christ is coming to you this morning to remind you of that. By His Word and Holy Spirit, He wants you not only to know that, but also to apply it. Don't be like an unemployed member in the body. That happens, you know, that people keep themselves away, don't get involved, and don't show much interest for others either. Well, learn here this morning that you are needed by others to help others, to support another member. You see that in the body too sometimes. Someone who is suffering from a weak arm or so needs to hold that arm that with the other hand in order to enable the one hand to shake the hands with a visitor. Concern for one another should be the hallmark of the church. If one suffers, the other member suffer with it. You know how a toothache can affect the functioning of the whole body. A stubbed toe impairs one's ability to walk, again affecting the whole body. Of course, if you don't care for the body and remain unemployed in the body, then you don't suffer, but then you are not needed either. Our Scripture passage shows us very clearly, brothers and sisters, how important the attitude of the members is for the functioning of the body. Our Belgian Confession also speaks of members who are in the body, yet who are not of the body. They are hypocrites, we confess. They are like kidney stones or gallstones in the body. They don't serve any purpose, nor do they have any part in the life of the body. At times, they can rear themselves in an ugly, painful way. For outsiders looking at such a body, they may give the wrong impression about the health of the body. Thankfully, however, they don't determine the actual health of the body. Sooner or later, they pass 
or must be removed, or they just stay dormant for a long time. It happens as well sometimes that you can't lift an arm or move a leg in the body. My leg is sleeping, we say then. That's because the blood circulation in that part of the body was obstructed. Then you will have to wait a while before you can use your arm or leg again. It happens that due to illness, the blood circulation does not work properly in one member of the body or another. If that persists too long, such a part of the body might die off and must be amputated. That's what happens with dead members in the church, too, eventually. A good blood circulation, brothers and sisters, is very important for the health of the whole body. Well, in the church, there is such a blood circulation as well. That's the love in the church. As your blood circulates throughout your whole body, enabling all your members to work and move and function, so this love is the power going through the whole congregation so that all the members become active and busy. That's the way Christ gives life to the body. That's the most excellent way, as Paul calls it in chapter 12, verse 31 which links up every part of the body with every function and member so as to unite the body. Then in chapter 13, that beautiful song of love, Paul explains how this way of love works among the people of God. Love in Christ brings the diversity of the members to the unity of the body of Christ. This love is in Christ's gift of Himself to the body. This love gives the real life to the body. Christ has given His Spirit to the body so that the flow of love may continue and permeate the entire body. And then to complete the picture, beloved, I should remind you that the Apostle Paul has shown in other epistles that Christ has given the office bearers to stimulate and coordinate the circulation of the blood and strength and the growth of the body. The elders are the ones in the congregation whom Christ has given to serve as conduits. The system of arteries and veins in order to bring this blood of love throughout the whole body. The deacons also are given by Christ to stimulate and activate the members as the muscle system in the body moves the arms, the feet, the eyes, the hands, and the heart in the body. Thus, by His Word and Holy Spirit, Christ gives health and strength, unity and maturity to the body, so that the body builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Amen.